Welcome to Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris, where we talk about relevant issues as it relates to individuals in grief as they navigate finances and the advisors who help them. We help clients in grief navigate financial matters. We also teach advisors how to emotionally and financially work with clients in grief through an unparalleled process. This week's episode is sponsored by Life After Grief Financial Planning and Life After Grief Consulting. Hello and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris. Let me set the stage for what I'm about to talk about in this week's episode. I was a 17-year-old senior when my father told me that my mother had metastatic breast cancer. That was a magnormous word for a child, and especially for me. My father quickly comforted me by telling me that everything was going to be just okay. And let me sidebar here for a minute. As a child processing through this horrible news, I had no foundation by which to go. I had heard of other folks, and especially in my class, go through similar situations, but I had not experienced anything like this prior to. Hence, today's podcast is all about helping children when a family member has cancer or other terminal illness, dealing with a parent's terminal illness, essentially. My family was nowhere near prepared to stomach the news of my mother's diagnosis. My mother and father were ill-prepared to deliver the news to me and my brother. They were also ill-prepared to deal with the news themselves. My point is that no one is ever really prepared for a terminal illness diagnosis. The news is almost always devastating and the impacts are far-reaching. The point of this podcast is to help to bring light and educate on preparing, helping children with the news of a cancer and or terminal illness of a parent or someone that's close to them. I remember where I was when I learned the news. I remember where I was about to go when I was given the news. I also remember the 30-minute car ride after I was given the news. My point is that time seemed to stand still when I was told about my mother's cancer diagnosis. I was walking out of the house to get into my car to go to my girlfriend's house. I can remember every step of the way, and I can remember exactly the point in the garage when my father caught me on my way out and basically told me that my mother uh, had breast cancer. And he also made a point to say that she was fine uh, more than once. I was like, okay. And it was pretty nonchalant. I'll confess that I did not really know what cancer was at the time. Knowing my father, he put a lot of time into the delivery of the news. He also knew that he had to deliver the news in a fast manner, in a way that lessened the impact of the seriousness of the illness. He also had to reassure me, no matter what the reality was, that my mother was going to be fine. And this was also about a month or so before I was about to graduate high school. So there was a lot of stuff that was kind of going on at this moment in time. And it was building up. My father took that into consideration when delivering the news. The reality of the seriousness of my mother's diagnosis set in mostly when I got to college. As I attended summer sessions, I got there early and I had a lot of time to be alone. The situation intensified after my mother had a mastectomy. The situation got real when I spent time during winter break back in Orlando with her after she lost her hair, was violently ill, and lost a lot of weight. I wanted to be near my mom more so than normal because I didn't know 
what the outcome of her diagnosis would ultimately be. I remember one point she telling me that she felt like dying because of the chemotherapy and the radiation were so hard on her body. I felt very alone and I really had nowhere to turn during this time. I attempted to cope with the situation by avoiding it, specifically when I was in college. I worked out at nauseum. I took 18 credit hours so I would not have to deal with the reality of the situation. I also attempted to walk on to the University of Florida basketball team. Both situations, meaning taking 18 credit hours and walking on to the basketball team, uh, did not work out in my favor. It was too much at the time. I also got my first D, and I didn't make the team. I was um, you know, pretty well spent, as you can imagine, exhausting a lot of that brain power, and then physically, you know, I was working myself to death, so to speak. And I really never dealt with the situation in the right way because I didn't have the necessary tools to deal with what was going on. The next summer and into the fall was brutal as, you know, my mom went to MD Anderson in Houston to have a bone marrow transplant. I'm just going to reiterate that my mom had gone through aggressive radiation and chemotherapy prior to the bone marrow transplant. My mother's situation was very severe. My father also hinted at his first sign of panic. He called me, and I remember this very distinctly. I was in a dorm room of my really good friend, and I took the phone call, and he asked me to come home so he wouldn't be alone. And it was not like my father to ask me ever to come home. He wanted me to enjoy completely my college life. There was a lot of panic in his voice. And it concerned me. I obliged and I went home for the weekend and my father and I consoled each other that weekend. And, you know, we marched on as a family. In the months to come, my mother would come home from her three-month stay in Houston and she was well on the road to recovery over the next several years. She made what seemed to be a full recovery and was in remission And I've been told, and I don't really study, and I'm not a medical person, but I'm told that the two-year mark is a big deal for cancer patients. My mother even went back to work for a year or two. I was very fortunate that my mother's situation got better before it ultimately got worse again. And this allowed for healing for me and my family. Now, I want to kind of go into the experience with the long-term effects again, in my personal situation of the radical chemotherapy, radiation, and a bone marrow transplant. Things have come a long way since my mother's treatments, you know, beginning in 1994. So you're talking about almost 30 years ago. My mother's brain was badly damaged, and she had the early onset of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. However, the trade-off was that she was able to live 14 years after her diagnosis, I know that my mother fought really hard to live on because of her children, meaning myself and my brother. I was still in my growing years, and I needed my mother to further groom me into an adult. And my experience was twofold. I experienced the diagnosis, treatment, remission, and the road to recovery. I also experienced the aftermath of her extreme treatments. Parental and Alzheimer's disease is a topic that I'm going to hold for another podcast. But my point in, 
you know, sharing this information with you is that there were a lot of ups and a lot of downs, you know, during this process from 1994 to 2008 when my mother ultimately passed away. And in retrospect and looking back over the years, I have developed some coping skills that I think could also help children and adults alike with a sudden diagnosis of cancer or terminal illness. In the same respect, I think I can provide some roadmaps for parents disseminating that information to their children. In my professional career, I've learned a few tips and tools to lessen the financial burden to the family in the case of a terminal illness, short-term and long-term disability and critical care insurance, to name a few. I will focus on some things to help children with a terminal illness and cancer diagnosis of a parent. I will wrap up the podcast with some of the financial tools and tips that I mentioned, specifically in teenage years, because my experience comes from when I was a late stage teenager. Teens are attempting to gain their own identity away from their parents. In the case of a teen experiencing a significant illness of a parent, they may be slow to lose that identity for the fear of the loss of a parent. Specifically, in my case, I mentioned that I wanted to be near my mom. This journey for independence can also be cause for erratic behavior. Now, in my case, I was probably past my erratic behavior stages. Uh, my parents may debate that, but um, I felt like I was past those. I was maturing um, into you know, young adolescence and becoming an adult. I went through, you know, kind of those erratic years before that. Here are some tips. And I didn't make these up. And I've gained this list from the American Cancer Society website. And it's cancer.org. And it's specifically under the section treatment and support. I'm also going to give a few examples as I go through some of these tips. You know, if the teen is interested, give them details about the parent's condition, symptoms, possible side effects of medicine, and what they might expect in the next few days, weeks, and or uh, years. In my situation, uh, my father gave me short and sweet information, and I he knew my personality. I didn't need to know all the details at the moment. And keep the teen up to date with what's happening with the parent's treatment. Uh, answer all questions honestly even as death approaches. Now, my father didn't know what the ultimate outcome of my mother's situation would be, and he simply just said, fine, uh, my mother will be fine. And I generally believed, he believed that she would be fine. And, you know, for a few short years, she was very fine, uh, as my father would have put it. Let the teen spend as much time as they would like with the parents and, you know, suggest topics to talk about. My parents understood that I had this fear that uh, my mother may not be there for a long time. And uh, at one point, I explored the opportunity to transfer to a local college here in Orlando. And my parents completely supported uh, my decision. I explored the University of Central Florida. Ultimately, I did not transfer. I think that was for the best. Um, my roots were in Gainesville. And I elected to stay up there. And I think that timing kind of worked out as my mother was starting to get better as well. And explain that even though parents have less time and energy, you know, for the teen, it's important for them to let the teen know that they still love, appreciate and value them. My parents did that 
by making a big deal out of my grades uh, when they recovered. My mother was all about me getting on the honor roll slash dean's list uh, in college. This is, uh, I would say, arguably a very, very important one. Tell the teens, teachers, coaches, and other school staff about the child's family situation. I'm going to liken this to when we, my wife and I, told the boys about uh, their brother that didn't survive. So we have disclosed to um, teachers, the principal at their school. That way it's not taboo and it's a situation that can be talked about. Discuss any spiritual concerns related to the illness, death, or dying. And try for as normal a life at home as possible. My mother came home and um, she was there. Even though I saw a dramatic change in her, she was home. So that was somewhat, somewhat normalizing. Don't expect the teen to take on caregiving or other difficult tasks. My parents did not place this burden on me. I had enough going on, you know, with trying to figure out my own life. And I know that they didn't think that it would have been fair to put that burden on me. When possible, let the teen have a voice in where to go after school and in whose care they prefer to be when a parent can't be there. And again, in my parents' situation, they allowed me to make the ultimate decision um, where I ended up in college after I began college. Be sure teens know that having fun and spending time with friends are important parts of their lives, and there's no need to feel guilty about it. My parents always encouraged me to party at nauseam as long as I was keeping my grades up. They wanted me to have as much fun as possible. They still encouraged me to go away to college. They also encouraged me to hang out with my friends as much as possible. Encourage teens to keep up their usual involvement in school and other activities. My parents ultimately also did that. And I did not have this next luxury. Ask a relative or trusted friend to take special interest in the teen. I don't recall having you know, someone in my family that I felt comfortable going to. My parents may have asked someone to do that, but I just didn't feel very comfortable in who I could go to. Address feelings of anger and frustration, you know, even if they are unspoken. In my situation, we didn't address those with me. It was so new and we didn't know how to deal with the situation. And I, again, always advocate, you know, counseling when going through very daunting situations like this. It's hard to go it alone. Being willing to tolerate some reluctance to share thoughts and feelings. I was somewhat reluctant to share you know, my thoughts and feelings until it got to a boiling point. I did speak to some of my friends when I you know, had some erratic emotional thoughts and you know, they calmed me down. Next, teens may try to protect parents by trying to hide their sadness, anger, or fears. I felt that I had to be strong for my mom and for my dad when I found out kind of the reality uh, of the situation. Check in with teens often and let them know that everyone has feelings that can be confusing and overwhelming. Tell your teen that it's okay to ask questions and express feelings that they think might upset others. I hid my feelings and I cried alone. And encourage your teen to keep a journal or log. I, I think this is very powerful, and I'm going to reiterate two again. Encourage your teen to keep a journal or log, and also provide your teen with access to someone they can speak to. Specifically, I, like I said, I always recommend counseling. 
In wrapping up this podcast, I'd like to end on a few financial notes slash tools that I've learned along the way. And I'm going to put these into four categories, disability insurance, critical care insurance, life insurance, and health insurance. And this is specifically for the family members that are supporting their family. Disability insurance. I recommend getting both long-term and short-term. Most group policies have the benefit of both. This is a benefit that provides a percentage of income in the event of a disability. Critical care insurance. I've seen that not all group benefits offer this, but if they do, I would take advantage. This is a type of insurance that provides a monetary benefit when a formal diagnosis is discovered. This monetary payment lessens the financial impact of the terminal illness. Specifically, critical care illness, if in their benefits they cover a cancer diagnosis and they give, and I'm just going to give a random number, they give $100. Again, that's a purely a random number, but they give $100 So you pay for this insurance benefit and you get a lump sum of money and that can go towards helping pay for any medical cost. And usually the benefit is uh, well in excess. It's usually into the thousands of dollars. Life insurance. This is insurance that can help after the death of a parent by providing a monetary payment to fill in income gaps that may have been lost due to the death of a parent. Health insurance. This is one I wouldn't gamble with. I wouldn't take a gamble with not having health insurance. That's pretty self-explanatory. If you like the information that I provided in this podcast and any others, please subscribe. My podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Spotify, and many others. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. for listening to our podcast. If you are a client and are looking to work directly with me, Chris, and or my firm, head on over to Life After Grief FP. That is Life After Grief FP. The FP is for financial planning.com. If you are an advisor looking to emotionally and financially work with your client in grief, or if you are a client looking to get your advisor's head in the game, head on over to lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. That is lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. Any information referenced in this week's podcast will be located here in the podcast section. And as always, please feel free to share this week's podcast with any friend, family member, or colleague. Thanks for listening. See you next week on the next episode.